You are listening to the Aesthetic Vibes podcast and I'm your host Amy. I have a background working in a corporate environment for over 15 years. I'm a doctor, a lecturer, a lawyer and a published author. This podcast is a look inside my brain. I cover relevant and totally irrelevant topics, ranging from self-help and advice to the spooky and scary, a little bit of true crime, mental health. I also like to tell some stories along the way. My goal is to spread aesthetic vibes whilst discussing these topics. I do like to end each episode with a lighter note, usually something completely ridiculous. Okay, with all that being said, let's hang out. Welcome to today's episode. Today, we're going to talk all things self-confidence, including what is self-confidence, how do people get so confident, and how do you build your own self-confidence in a few easy steps. Okay, let's get going. First, when I personally think about self-confidence and I try to assign a feeling or definition to it, for me, self-confidence is really a thought process. It's a combination of knowing who you are, knowing what value you add to the world and being confident in your abilities. It's a feeling combined with a thought process more than anything else. And it's not just one thing. It's a combination of attributes. I personally have found my self-confidence has grown as I've gotten older and older. I know when I was younger, I lacked a lot of self-confidence. And I think this was a big part of me not knowing who I was or what value I added. And I felt very lost. My personality was a combination of other people's personalities that I hung around at the time, along with random people I saw on TV. Sounds so random when I say it now, but it really was. I really wasn't sure what I was interested in, and I absolutely did not know what I was good at. I remember people having natural talents, and that defined who they were as people. But for me, I didn't even know what I was talented at. I enjoyed things, but was I good at them? Couldn't tell you. Still couldn't tell you now. And because I didn't really know myself, I also didn't know my strengths and weaknesses, which makes it even harder again. It seemed for me that the world had too many things. There were too many options of stuff that I could maybe be good at. I also don't believe in the fake it till you make it mindset. I've done that. It only makes you more confused around who you are and what you want. So um, I think for me, in the last five years, things have really fallen into place. So I'm going to share with you some of the things that I've done to build my self-confidence. But like every episode, I do like to start out with the basics or what I refer to as the theory. (laughs) I think this comes from my teaching background. When I start off teaching, I always lay the foundations, get everybody on the same page, then launch into the more complicated detail, then transition it from theory to practical, and then lay down examples. So it's almost like this model that I use, and I'm unconsciously using it all the time. But for me, it works. So I hope it works for you too. Let's start with some of the simple stuff then. So 
people with low self-esteem commonly show traits or collective thoughts that actually put them into that category of having low self-esteem. So what are these? It might be a heavy self-criticism. It could be a hypersensitivity to criticism and resentment, um, feelings of maybe being attacked. It can be a chronic indecision or maybe an exaggerated fear of mistakes. It can be this excessive will to please and unwillingness to displease people in your life. It could be combined with this sense of perfectionism that can lead to frustration when it's not achieved. It can be dwelling on or exaggerating the magnitude of past mistakes It could be floating hostility and this defensiveness and irritability. It could be pessimism, (laughs) cynical, (laughs) envy. It could be general resentment or looking at temporary setbacks as permanent setbacks. If you are demonstrating these traits, I think you need to ask yourself, why? Where is this coming from? Is this from other people or are these thoughts in my mind? What is hinging on these thoughts? What is driving these thoughts? When it comes to problem solving, one of the fundamental rules that I was taught was getting to the root cause. The way I think about it and the way I pitch it for my students, so whenever we're looking at an assessment that is a layered assessment and we're trying to make, say, recommendations on something, you need to understand the root cause of the problem. And how would you go about that? Let's say you have to chop a tree down and you want to work out the best pathway there. You've got an ax. Do you chop at the leaves to remove the tree? Or do you chop at the trunk, at the base of the tree to get rid of the tree? This is similar to understanding the root cause of the problem. If you don't know the root cause, you could be, in fact, just chipping away at leaves. So it's always this case of asking yourself why, and then why again until you get to that base level where you can't go any deeper. This is often called the five whys. Throughout my life, I have done many a things. <laughs> I've achieved some really great things that I really am truly proud of. And I can honestly say that none of these things have come easy. All of these things have required great effort, energy and dedication. For most people, you don't just wake up one day and you're good at something. You need to apply yourself consistently. I've had people comment on things that I've achieved and make comments like, oh, well, that's easy to you. Okay, that's how it might look on the outside because I don't share a lot of the inside stuff I do. But on the inside, I am working damn hard. And I know that I'm capable of doing whatever I set my mind to because I set the goals. I work hard at it with effort and consistency which is why it's never nice to comment on someone else's success, claiming you know what is going on behind closed doors. When it comes to working towards goals, setting your mind to something is much more than saying, oh, I'm going to do X. It is true, deep dedication with unwavering commitment. I truly believe that most people can do whatever it is they desire, but you need to work hard and you put in what you get out. And this is something I say to all of my students, your engagement with me, the course content and the dedication to your work will yield the appropriate results. If you are studying and you do not attend class, you do not do your independent study, you don't work progressively on your assessments and you don't follow instructions, 
guess what? <laughs> You're not going to do well. <laughs> and who's to blame? It's not your schedule. It's not your work schedule. It's not the lecture. It's not me. I didn't do anything. <laughs> guess what? It's you. Hard work is best measured against a lens of consistency. You must be consistent. Let's think about it like you're an athlete. Can you just practice one day? Say you're running, you're going for a running event. I don't know anything about running. My mum does, I do not. Let's just say you're going to out on a big event, it's a running thing, and maybe you practice once and you go, oh, I did okay. Do you then not practice and then just show up on the day and hope for the best? I'm sure people have done that. It sounds like something I would do because I don't care for running. But is this going to yield the best possible outcomes? Absolutely not. So this is something that you need to consider with all aspects of your life. So uh, this is also a feeling I think that too comes with age. As you grow older, you become more comfortable in your own skin as well. But it's a combination of things. So we've spoken about people with low self-confidence and the characteristics and attributes they might be displaying. But let's flip it on its head. What do we consistently see from people with high confidence? These people firmly believe in their values and principles. They will be readily available to defend them when finding opposition. And they feel secure enough to modify this in light of experience. They're able to make the best choice trusting their own judgment and not feeling guilty when others don't like that choice. They don't spend a lot of time worrying excessively over what's happened in the past, nor what could happen in the future. These people learn from the past, plan for the future and exist in the present. They trust in their ability and capability to solve problems and not hesitating after failures and difficulties. And I'll talk about failures in a little bit. These people also know when to ask for help. They consider themselves equal to others rather than inferior or superior and they accept that there are differences. They understand how they are an interesting and valuable person for others and those that they have friendships or relationships with. They're sensitive to feelings and needs of others and they respect accepted social rules with no claim or right or desire to prosper at another's expense. They can work towards finding solutions and voice. They celebrate other people's success. Oh my God, absolutely. They're open-minded. They have a lens of optimism. They can take risks and they understand the strengths and weaknesses of taking such a risk. They can actually laugh at themselves when things don't go 100% right. They can have a laugh and then move on. They're really good at making decisions. They know how to learn and grow. They admit mistakes and they accept responsibility where appropriate. Let's take a little bit of a closer look at the theory behind this topic. And there are several notable things. We have a theorist by the name of Martin Ross who actually looked into and built a model on self-confidence. And he states that there are actually three states to self-confidence. The first he refers to as shattered. <laughs> Which I must admit, when I read that, I was like, oh, shit, <laughs> starting out strong. But ultimately, what he says here is this individual does not regard themselves as valuable or lovable. They can often be overwhelmed by defeat or shame or they see themselves as what they refer to as maybe an anti-feat. So this might be that maybe they consider that being over a certain age is an anti-feat. Then they may define themselves in the name of their anti-feet and say, hey, I'm old. They often express actions and feelings such as pity, insulting themselves, and they can often become paralyzed by their sadness. Sounds so sad, so sad. 
The second stage is vulnerable. So generally, this type of individual has positive self-image. However, their self-esteem is vulnerable to perceived risks. They are often nervous and regularly use defense mechanisms. So a typical protection mechanisms of those that are vulnerable may be avoiding decision-making. These individuals may outwardly exhibit great self-confidence, but there's this underlying reality that is the opposite. And it's this self-confidence that is heightened fear of anti-feats and this fr- fragile mindset and self-esteem. They may also try to blame others to protect their self-image from situations that could threaten it. And their defense mechanisms can include things like maybe losing at games and competitions, which protects their own self-image. They may employ defense mechanisms such as losing at games and other competitions in order to protect their self-image by maybe saying, look, um, I don't need to win. There is a deep fear of being unaccepted by their peers and making poor life choices by making risky decisions. And the third is strong. People with strong self-esteem have a positive self-image and enough strength so these anti-feats do not subdue their self-esteem. They don't really have a fear of failure. Um, These individuals are often humble and cheerful and it shows a certain strength and they don't really boast about their feats and they're not really afraid of anti-feats. These guys are capable of fighting with their might to achieve the best goals because if things go wrong their self-esteem will not be affected. These guys acknowledge their own mistakes precisely because their self-image is strong. And this acknowledgement will not impair or affect their self-image. These guys live with less fear of losing social prestige and more happiness and general well-being. So looking at this model for me, and if I had to maybe explain some of the behavior I've seen in the corporate world, personal experience, own opinion, (laughs) disclaimer, I would say that most of the people that were around me and, and me at times would fall into that middle bucket of vulnerability. And I think that would explain a lot of the behavior that you do see in the corporate environment. Okay. But the question I want you to ask yourself is which of these do you relate to most? Let's go back to the thought that I mentioned earlier around other people's opinions. I firmly believe that the opinions of others should be taken with a grain of salt, even those who are close around you. If you are struggling with self-confidence, then seeking continual advice or commentary from those around you is most likely not going to build you up. You need to be cautious seek real feedback from those who trust. There was a time in my career when I was really at a low point. And this is the time where I really decided to scale back on feedback. I wasn't in a good headspace. So I needed to kind of pull back the volume of feedback I was asking for and receiving to ensure that my mental health was in the right place. And you can do this. You're entitled to do this. There will be a point, however, where you do need to reopen yourself back up to the feedback because feedback is a really good way to grow and develop. But this can be a gradual, slow process. And this, again, comes back to my thinking on unsolicited comments combined with giving zero fucks. The less fucks we can give, the happier and more content we are and will be personally. Ask yourself, does this actually matter? In a week, in a month, in a year, will this matter? 
when I'm dying. Will this matter? Kind of morbid, <laughs> but it works for me, right? If I need to put things into perspective, I will say to myself, oh my God, get a handle. Does this actually matter? So how do people with high self-confidence get to this point? Well, much like my working hard example, they work at it. So I hate to say this, there's no quick or fast approach to building yourself up. This is something you need to work at each and every day. And there are small ways to do this. So let's dive into some of my top tips on how you can, in fact, build up your self-confidence. First and foremost, work out what you're interested in. Sounds simple, (laughs) not always. But ask yourself, what do you enjoy? Better yet, what don't you enjoy? Take note. Work out what you're actually good at. And this can come with trial and error. You might have to try a few things before you work out what it is you're good at. I look at this as a learning experience. In the workplace, we need to trial things and work out what works and what doesn't. We're encouraged to learn from our misfortunes. So let me give you a little example. I worked at (laughs) a large financial organization (laughs) in Australia. (laughs) There's a lot, so that really could be anyone. Anyway, in my first six months, I was running a mail out. Uh, The mail out was to customers on some increased charges on a product. So I had to write a letter and then there were six or seven different people that had to sign off on it. Um, And there was a team that had to sign off on it. Anyway, multiple pronged approach. And all of these lines of uh, almost defense are there to prevent error. So I followed the process. I did what I was meant to do. At some stage throughout the editing process, someone in a team (laughs) decided to pick up the content, copy it and paste it onto a new document. However, As they did this, they accidentally changed the phone number to a different number. (laughs) So (laughs) instead of the standard call center number, it became a random number. I trusted that the edits were all good. Um, I checked the number. It looked right to me. Guess what? It wasn't. (laughs) The phone number was wrong. It actually was a small business, an irrigation business. So I uh, saw the error after the mail out had occurred, shit myself. Um, First thing I did was get on the phone to this small business to try to apologize. He was such a nice guy. He's like, no, I haven't received a single phone call. He goes, but this could be good for business. I was like, possibly. (laughs) Anyway, so my goal next was fix the error. So I did this. I sent out a text message alert and um, an online alert as well to the individuals who'd received the incorrect details. What did this teach me? This taught me a critical requirement to check and double check everything you're working on, particularly if it's going public. This rocked my self-confidence. But I had to draw the line and stop beating myself up and get back on the horse. I recall walking into a room, shutting the door, crying, getting my shit together, then walking out and building my mitigation plan. We all make mistakes. Most things can be fixed. Was it the end of the universe? No. My general manager was unimpressed. He was so unimpressed. But he did say to me, look, no one reads letters. We send them anyway. So let's just fix it and get on with it. So this to me was like, okay, cool. He's not angry. Okay, we've had a laugh. It's time to get on with it. Things don't go well. 
we learn, we move on. We used to use a lot of test and learn in technology implementation. And basically this is you implement something new and you get feedback from customers. They're either going to love it or they're going to hate it. You do this, you do it damn fast, you either regress or you move to something new. This is trial and error, which is a very successful method for running a business. So I was talking to my husband um, the other week, a little bit on the trial and error topic. Anyway, we were talking the other week about um, cannulating. So there was a lady taking my blood and she struggled with the veins. And, you know, she was quite upset. She had had a really bad day. She'd missed a couple of cannulations. I don't even know what they're called. I don't know where they put the needle in. She missed a couple of those early in the morning and it had a negative effect on her um, impacting the rest of her day and Sean said to me yeah if if I need to cannulate and let's just say I miss two or three at the beginning of the day that's going to rock my confidence of course it is until I get back into the method and the rhythm so shit like that happens right let's just say something doesn't come completely natural but you're really interested in it totally fine it might mean that you just need to work that little bit harder to get to the end result. But that end result is going to be so much sweeter when you worked hard at it. So right now, you probably need to stop, take a stock take of all the things that you've achieved to date. What are some of the goals you've kicked? These goals don't need to be large. You know, I cured world hunger. No, they can be small. Every little success is a success. So take stock Now, next is setting up some new goals. I always look at goal setting in a few different ways. So it's great to have big, audacious goals. Fantastic. But how do you achieve large goals? You need to break them down into smaller pieces that are achievable. So let's say I want to improve my verbal communication skills. Great. That's a huge goal. How the heck am I going to get there? So you would break this down into small, medium and long-term goals. So you might have attend some public speaking events in the next four weeks, apply for opportunities to present in my workplace in six months, shadow good presenters uh, over X time period, watch TED Talks, so forth. So it breaks it down into smaller pieces. And then when each of these pieces come back together, it creates that big audacious goal. You also need to be grateful for what you have and the person you are today. Um, I think people kind of take this a little far. There's like gratitude diaries and other things, but I don't think it needs to be this complicated. It's as simple as just waking up and thinking about one good thing. Another thing is knowing what is within your self-control and what is outside of your control. What battles can I fight that will improve who I am versus what just doesn't matter? And I think this comes from being your authentic self. You also need to be patient. This isn't something that's going to happen overnight. You've got to be kind to yourself. It's a gradual process and you'll be working on building those foundations. Sometimes it's helpful to confide in someone and just let them know, hey, I'm struggling with self-confidence. And my husband and I do this often. We have these discussions where he might say, hey, look, I'm struggling with whatever at the moment. It's been a really hard week. And we just talk it out and we just try to build that confidence up again. I really like to look for the good in people. And this is about, for me, just spreading good. Spreading good makes you feel good. And then that builds your confidence. So if I see someone and they're wearing something really nice or maybe they smell really nice, whatever it might be, I'll let them know because if I can spread positivity, 
I feel positive. So this is not to say that I'm just going to hand out shallow compliments to every second person that I see. But if I truly like something, I'm going to let that person know. It makes you feel positive, which builds your confidence. The other thing is do not compare yourself to others. I've said this in nearly every episode. This is the worst thing we can possibly do. We are all different and on different paths. Never compare yourself to others. This is a pointless task. I like to treat myself. (laughs) I laugh because when I treat myself, I do this all the time. Uh, Online shopping is my preferred method of being (laughs) treated. But you can do nice stuff for yourself when you're feeling down, whether that's buying yourself something, indulging in like a nice meal, or just doing something that makes you happy. Treat yourself kindly. Bring in those positive thoughts. The small things that we say to ourselves each day impact us. Eliminate that negative self-talk. You don't want to be saying things like, oh, I look ugly today, or, oh, my hair is so grizzy, oh, I need to lose weight. No, no, stop all of that right now. Stop, stop, stop. Turn around. Stop. You don't need to lose weight. You don't look ugly. Your hair's not greasy. Don't. Just don't go there. Turn them into positive thoughts. Focus on other things. I think another aspect is knowing what you're afraid of and making a conscious effort to work on it. I was petrified of public speaking. I decided for myself, if I want to progress in the corporate world, you need to know how to publicly speak. You can't just not, right? You can't just not speak in a corporate environment. So what did I do? (laughs) I started signing myself up uh, for different forums I could run, different presentations of my work, presenting to general manager panels. Um, I even decided to lecture, which was probably the biggest challenge I set for myself. And that was scary shit. (laughs) The first four lectures, I was packing it. Let me just say, nothing is as scary as standing up in a room full of students. (laughs) Nothing is scarier. But guess what? You get over it damn quick. You learn, you become resilient, and you become good at it. A couple of other things. Say no. Use your voice. Say no. You don't want to do it? Don't do it. Simple. Don't be afraid to speak up. Don't be afraid to give your opinion and to have a voice. And be yourself with no apologies. Work out what those values are that define who you are and don't apologize for that. So it's things like, I can't handle this or this is impossible, changing that around to, actually, I can do this. I'm going to give it a try. I can't do anything right is, you know what? I can do this better next time. You actually have the power to wake up today and say to yourself, you know what? Today's going to be awesome. Today's going to be awesome. I'm going to get myself an amazing coffee. I'm going to roll into the office. I'm going to have a brilliant lunch. I'm going to kick some goals today. It's going to be a really good day. You can also wake up and choose to have a shit day. (laughs) I guarantee you, if you wake up on the wrong side of the bed and you say to yourself, today sucks, it's going to be shit, it will be. (laughs) So (laughs) that's exactly how the day is going to go down. So I encourage you to wake up with that positive mindset. And if you're not feeling happy, that's okay. Just try your best to overcome those negative mindsets and really just say to yourself, how do I turn this round? 
The power is in your hands and your mind. As with every episode, we end on a lighter note. I was asking my husband, I said to him, oh, what should I talk about for my lighter segment? And he goes, his usual response is, I don't know. And I was like, come on, I need your help. He said, talk about things that he likes that I couldn't care less about. And I was like, perfect topic. And I started on my list. It took me two minutes. And I said, oh, I've got a list. And he was like, what? That took you no time. And I'm like, hell yeah. So... (laughs) Let me share with you things I just don't care about that my husband cares about. First, Marvel and DC movies. (laughs) No thanks. I've seen every single one. I can't remember what one it was. There was one that we watched. I think it was Wonder Woman. I don't know. Anyway, it was shit. It went for like six hours or something ridiculous. No, not that long. Surely it couldn't have been. Was it four hours? Four hours, maybe. Anyway, it was apparently the um, extended version or something like that, the editor's cut extended version. Yeah, I didn't need to see that. I didn't need to waste that much time. It felt like six hours. It probably was three. Anyway, no, Marvel and DC movies are a no. Second is exercise. Nah, I'm good. I'm good. She's cool. I don't, Yeah, I'm, you know, don't really need it. I'm good. To be fair, I do like going on the occasional walk. Um, It's just really hard. I can't walk my dog because he's crazy and my arms always hurt. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I'm not a fan of exercise. It's just just not where it's at for me. Um, The third is cleaning the house. (laughs) I have a reputation in the house, (laughs) in my house of two adults and two pets. (laughs) Reputation. Coffee mugs and cold brew cans. I don't like putting my coffee mugs in the dishwasher. I much prefer to put it on the bench above the dishwasher. That just feels far more convenient for me. My husband hates this. He's always telling me, put your coffee cup in the dishwasher. And I'm like, yeah, cool. And then I just put it on the bench. I don't know what it is. There seems to be so much effort around opening the door, pulling the tray out, and then putting the mug in. It's just heaps easier if I pop it on the bench. And I'll tell you what, nine out of ten times, it somehow finds its way into the dishwasher. So it's either got legs or someone else is putting it in there. So, I mean, it's a there's there's no reason for me to worry about it, right? Um, washing the cars. I don't care. My car could be covered head to toe in thick mud. I don't care. I'll still drive it. <laughs> Doesn't bother me. Um, I don't like a lot of rubbish in the car, but as for the outside, I don't care. I claim that someone hit my car. <laughs> my husband claims I hit a wall. Um, I just, I didn't care. Like, it got fixed and everything, but I just didn't, I just don't care. Cars just do not matter to me at all. It's like, a, it's just something gets you from A to B. You just want to spend as little money as possible on them. It is what it is. And I think the, the one that has gotten me recently, we've had a few wines, right? Had a few wines recently. We've kind of had a lot of IVF stuff going on. And when we're not going through all that stress, we've had a couple of wines. Anyway, we were sick. Turns out, um, I think we had glandular fever. I know my husband definitely had it because the doctor rang him yesterday and said, oh, you've got glandular fever, which affects your liver, right? (laughs) So he has had a few drinks and his liver's been hurting. 
I don't know how you can identify it to live. Anyway, look, I'll just trust his judgment. Anyway, last night he was like, oh, you know, I've just, I've really got to quit. I've got to quit drinking. And he was talking about it like he was on some sort of hard drug that he had to give up because his life was ending. And I'm like, oh my God, you're so dramatic. (laughs) You can have a wine every now and then. Maybe not while you've got glandular fever and your liver's giving up, but it's okay. So that's another thing. I don't care about that. I like wine. I want to drink wine. So that's the things my husband cares about that I could care less about. Well, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Join me next time when I discuss part two of mental health. More specifically, I'm going to focus on anxiety and the different forms of anxiety along with the linkages to depression. And I will share not only how to deal with those, but how to also personally manage both of those. In the meantime, let's hang out on my socials. Hit me up at Aesthetic Vibes Pod. Drop me an email at Aesthetic Vibes Podcast at Outlook.com. Visit my website, Aesthetic Vibes Podcast.com. Drop by my TikTok, Dr. Ames Kelly. Uh, is there anything else? I think that's everything. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I think that's everything. Okay, until next time. Bye.